0: Yeah. Oh. All right. it's good to see you here tonight. If you've got your Bible, you might want to open that to Hebrews chapter three. We'll be there in just a few minutes. That's one of the uh, main passages that we'll hit early in our lesson tonight. I hope you've had a good afternoon, and looks like you got some rain here in Savannah during the afternoon, so that's a good thing. Uh, I'm thankful tonight that my family is here with me: my wife Marla, my daughter Kayla, and my son Preston. And so we are uh, there. I'm glad that they're here. We're on our way to Lebanon after services tonight, and. So thankful that they're here. Hope that you'll take a minute to say hello to them after we're done tonight. Continuing with some lessons that that kind of focus on congregational health, there have been prayers for unity and and my take on it is the more healthy the congregation becomes uh, the better job we do of achieving uh, a united state and and some people will say well hey why don't we talk about congregational health on sunday morning and and i guess those kinds of things can be debated but a part of me says this the more healthy the core becomes the more healthy the congregation will become as the core has an influence on the entire church. And so that's one of the reasons that I do this type of material on uh, Sunday night. I want you to think, and of course right now is not a really good example because we've got a lot of them around us, but when you think about empty seats in an auditorium, and not on a holiday weekend or where there's a lot of other things going on, but, but think in terms of maybe a normal Sunday morning, And there will be some empty seats around us. And then I want you to think in terms of a specific empty seat, a specific seat that was once occupied by what we would call a faithful Christian. And that seat is now empty. And it's not because the person moved away. It's not because they've passed away. That person who was once with us is just simply gone. They're no longer here. And it's not that they've gone to church somewhere else. They're just not in church. And most all of us can think about a time that something like that has occurred. And when those kinds of things occurred, questions will come to mind. We'll begin to ask ourselves things like, okay, what went wrong? You know, is the, is the person that's left, is, it, is there somehow, does some of the blame come my way? Because we always like to figure out who's at fault. Is some of it My fault. Or is it, is it the congregation as a whole? Is it something that we all didn't do that caused this person not to be with us? Or does it somehow fall to church leadership? Is it something they didn't do? Or does all of it fall on the person who made the choice to walk away? After all, they're a Christian and they've been taught and they know what they should have done and they chose to leave, so maybe does it all fall on them? Let's think about... What God wants. And I'll run you through a couple of passages, and then we'll end up in Hebrews chapter three. When you think about what God wants for His church, Second Peter chapter three, there's a, there's verse nine where we finally get to the point where God says, or Peter writes, "The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." Now that verse comes out of a discussion where Peter says, "Now there are some scoffers, and they're going to see you saying that you're living ready and that." you're prepared for Jesus to come back and they're going to say well nothing seems to be happening, God seems to be pretty quiet with everything so are you sure you've really got your faith in the right place and so Peter says hey what God wants is for no one to be lost, what God wants, what a patient God wants is to allow time for people to be right with God Then I think about John chapter 21. This is after the cross. This is Peter being restored. And earlier in that chapter, there there is this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. And, And Jesus is asking Peter, well, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know, I like you, if you get down to what the Greek terms say. And this happens three times. And then finally, Jesus says to Peter, follow me, in verse 19. And Peter wants to look around at John and say, well, what about John? And Jesus says to Peter, you don't worry about John. You don't worry about what's going on with him. In other words, don't worry about other people in terms of what I do with them or my relationship with them. What I want you to do is focus on your relationship with me. You follow me no matter what. And then Hebrews chapter 3. When we think about what God wants for His church... Notice verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you, that's all inclusive, all Christians, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Uh, God, what does God want? It is not okay with God when some Christians hang in there and some Christians don't make it. That's not what God wants. And so how do we achieve what God wants? Well, verse 13 gives us that answer. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you, again, that's a big term. In other words, God doesn't want anyone to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then the Hebrew writer says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast our assurance firm unto the end. So that's what God wants. He wants all of us to stay faithful, and His method for that is He gives us community. He gives us each other. In other words, we are to help one another go to heaven. That's the role of community in salvation. And yet, even though it's not what God wants, sometimes people do disappear. Sometimes they remove themselves from community. Maybe it was more difficult than they thought it was going to be. I've become a Christian now and my life should be easier, but my life's not as easy as I thought it would be. And this Christianity thing is just too hard. I'm not going to stick with it. Or maybe they didn't have this sense of community. Maybe they didn't realize that they had a whole group of people trying to help them go to heaven. And maybe they felt like they were following by themselves and they just didn't make it. Maybe they hadn't internalized the idea of actually being a follower, of being a disciple, of of trying to follow after Christ. Or maybe instead of embracing the follow me concept, no matter what's going on with others, maybe instead of embracing that, perhaps religion to them was a big old game of Jesus says... Jesus says go to church. Jesus says read your Bible. Jesus says don't lie. Jesus says don't fornicate. Jesus says love people. And maybe as they played Jesus says, maybe they just got tired of playing. Or maybe they looked around and maybe they felt like other people weren't playing to the level that they were. Whatever the reason, see there's a sadness for me and maybe there is for you too. When you think about somebody who was here, But now they're not. And again, the question becomes, you know, what if we could do better? And if we could, how would that work? What would that look like? And so, here's the big idea. If you don't walk out with anything else tonight in these few minutes, walk out of here with this. See, as family, as a community, each and every one of us, we all have an important role in nurturing and and bringing along the kind of Christian community where we're actively helping each other Go to heaven. A couple of references or resources that I would recommend to you. A couple of things that we'll be noticing tonight. Uh, Several years ago, Flavel Yakely Jr. wrote a book called Why They Left... And the subtitle is Listening to Those Who Have Left Churches of Christ. Uh, You may know of Brother Yakely's work. He worked for a long time at Harding University. He did statistics for Churches of Christ. He kind of became our brotherhood statistician. And so when we wanted to know what was going on with our brotherhood, he would survey us and he would crunch the numbers and then he would come back and tell us what's going on in our fellowship. So that book I would recommend. And the other book, uh, I don't think I put a screenshot up, uh, but the other book is a book called The Great Commission Part 2, Becoming the Hands of Christ. It's authored by Steve Cummings and Glenn Newton, two friends of mine. But they look at, okay, after somebody becomes a Christian, what do we got to have happen to make sure that that new Christian grows? And so both of those books are valuable. But in Yakeley's book, there is a quotation interview with some folks who were once members of Churches of Christ, but they walked away, and the quotation was this, When we left, no one asked why, no one visited or called. And see, that's scary, and that's one side of the story, and we don't have the church's side of the story in that, but, but, but it's scary because if that's actually how it happened, it's scary because by not saying anything, that church, whatever church it may have been, actually said a lot. When no one left, nobody asked why, nobody called us, we were gone, and nobody checked up. And I'm not supposed to do a lot of family stories, a lot, especially when the family's here, but I'm going to illustrate with one. My daughter Kayla still lives in my house. She's an adult. She does her thing. She's on her schedule. She I mean, you know, it's she has her life to live, but she does live under our roof. And so when we sit down to eat a meal, Kayla's not gonna be gone from the dinner table for two weeks and me turn to Marla and say, Well, you know, we sure haven't seen Kayla in a long time. You know, it'd be, we, we, we wouldn't do that. I mean, if she's not at supper one night, I, well, what's up with Kayla tonight? What's she up to? Where's she going? And, and, and it ought to be the same way with us as church family. When somebody's missing from the table, it shouldn't take a month for us to ask, well, I wonder what happened with them because they're members of the family. Now let's talk about where people are. As people arrive in church community, think in terms of, not just Christians who have been Christians for a long time and maybe who move in, that could be part of it, but think in terms of somebody we study with them, they obey the gospel, they're new Christians, they're babes in Christ. Let's think about where people are as as they arrive. And again, remember, we've got to deal with people the way they are. They don't always arrive the way they ought to be. It's part of being human. Some people think they want God, but not the church. Because some people, as they have looked from out in the world at religion, they've looked at religion and they've seen organized religion abuse some folks. And so they have this false belief that they might do better having a relationship with God that doesn't include a relationship with organized religion. And so that's where some people are. Some people arrive thinking that it's too risky to admit weakness. In other words, when somebody walks into our fellowship, can they walk into the fellowship and can they, uh, do they feel comfortable admitting that they're not okay? In other words, is it okay in this church to not be okay? And obviously it's not okay to stay not okay, but when somebody arrives, if they've got problems, can they feel that they've found the right place to help those problems be addressed? Some people arrive with a mindset of being consumers more so than arriving with a mindset that says, hey, I'm here to invest and to get involved and to see what I can add to the family. Sometimes when people arrive, they want to see, okay, what can the church do for me? And obviously the church, it should fulfill some needs for us. That's normal and there should be some expectation. But see, if I arrive and I'm a consumer first, it becomes very easy for me to be disillusioned if I decide that my needs aren't being met. After all, the church is here to serve me and the consumer is the one who may get his or her feelings hurt rather easily. Uh, The consumer is the one who may be very critical of of what they see and what's going on. This may manifest itself as the person who complains a lot. And when you're consuming or if I arrive as a consumer, it's pretty easy for me not to stay around. After all, this just wasn't the right place for me. And of course, here in the South, then we just go find another place. Uh, If you've been up north much, or maybe out west... People in other places, they kind of laugh at us. Because they'll say, wow, you know, when I've got a problem, I can't run somewhere else. We've got to stay because there just aren't enough of us Christians. We've got to figure out a way to get along. They kind of laugh at us in the South because the church is so strong and we have so many options. Some people arrive and they're new Christians and they're just barely hanging on. Uh, A church that I worked with for a, a period of time kind of in a role like I am in here at Savannah in working with this congregation temporarily, there was a young man that responded to the invitation a number of times. This church was active in prison ministry like Savannah is. This church also was very active in a in an organization called Project Rescue. And so in almost every worship service, we had a number of folks, they were recovering addicts, they were really trying to turn their lives around, coming out of some very, really big problems. Well, one young man, he responded multiple times. And, and one night when he responded, he said... I'm really trying to get my life right. He said, but my old friends, they keep calling me, and I tell them that I'm not doing the things that, I'm, that I used to do. I don't do those things anymore. But, but he said, it's frustrating because some of the things that they're asking me to do, some of those things in one way I'd still like to be doing. He's just barely hanging on. And see, when somebody arrives in that kind of a situation, they need to know that the church has thrown them a lifeline and that we're not going to let go of them. Some arrive desperately trying to fit in. Some people are extroverts and they're willing to get involved and they're easy to meet people. Some of us are introverts by nature and it's not very easy for us to to make entrance into a new group of people. And fitting in is only going to occur when the existing group of people allows that new person into the circle. And so we've got to be the kind of community that allows new people in So the question becomes what are we doing to assimilate or to help people fit in to help people come a part of the congregational family to become faithful followers if you will and see these things are important in one survey uh, that that, uh, Brother Yakely reported on the survey asked the question what methods are currently being used to assimilate new Christians in your congregation 20% of the respondents, one in every five, did not know. I don't know what we're doing to assimilate new folks. Another 20%, so now we're up to two out of every five. Another 20% said, nothing's being done. So one out of five, I don't know. Another one out of five, we're not doing anything. That's almost half And that's scary because the the numbers say, the research says, if a person isn't assimilated, if we don't make them a part of the family, the statistics say they're very likely to fall away. And it's sad because if somebody falls away, then the research says that that person becomes about five times more difficult to win back. And so as we finish up tonight, the question is, how can we help people... Do church community well? And I like to begin with a great picture of what community looked like in the early church. And as we get ready to read Acts 2, I realize that our lives are different today. We may go days and not see each other every day, and we go to work, and we've got this, and we've got that. I get it. Our culture isn't the same. But this is still a great picture. Verse 42 of Acts 2 They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. All those who believed were together and had all things common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they're continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. One of the comments in that Great Commission Part 2 book, one of the quotations that I thought was noteworthy, the authors said, Most Christians say they're devoted to God, but they fail to realize that we cannot be devoted to God without being devoted to one another. You know, I may be an introvert and I may be kind of a loner, but God's plan is that, that this family I become a part of, this family that I help someone and someone helps me, even if I'm a loner, God has this expectation for one another and community. Here's the thing. If we can go Sunday to Sunday or longer without interacting or being with our church family in some way, with our church community, and it doesn't feel like something's missing from our lives, we need to see that as a problem. We need to see that as a red flag. We really do. Let's talk about church at three levels. One of the things that Yakely discussed in his book was Peter Wagner's first book on church growth where Peter Wagner talked about the idea of every Christian needs to experience church at, at three levels. And I'll run through these three with you. Uh, the first level is celebration, and that's the idea of every Christian ought to be in worship. It doesn't matter what size the congregation, the, uh, the church is. It can be 300 or 200 or, or 800 or whatever. Everybody needs to be in worship. So that's the first level. The second level he talks about is the congregational level. And Wagner defined this as uh, the more the size of a typical adult Bible class in a large congregation. This is 30 to 60 people. We know these people pretty well. We're actively living out church life with them. Uh, he suggests when a class grows beyond 60, we ought to split it. And there was something else shared in the book, and it was kind of Maybe relieving to me and maybe you will find this to be so also. You ever struggle with remembering names? One of the things shared in the book is that 60 is the upper limit in, in most organizations, be a school, church, work, whatever. 60 is the upper limit that most average folks will remember first names of in, in, in a group. And that may be one of the reasons sometimes we struggle in a larger group remembering names. So congregational life, that 30 to 60 people, we were really active with them. But then the third level he calls cell, and he defines it this way. He said, this is the 10 to 12 people who are actively helping you live out your Christianity. You're with them regularly. You're helping each other grow spiritually. This is why a number of churches have placed an emphasis these days on an organized small group ministry. And most churches do this in, in some form. Uh, the, the group that goes and has coffee at, at Hardee's or whatever, you know, that, that's a small group. The Bible class that goes and does a project somewhere, that's a small group. But, but most churches do this. The big question has always been, will we replace a service with small groups? And you all have done that here and it works great. And it's always a decision that shepherds make in the local congregation. But Yankley, Yankley points out, you know, he said, even if it's not officially organized in your church, he said, you've always done this. And he points back to some of us who are a little older thinking back to years ago and we'd go to church and we'd almost always never just go home. We'd always maybe go to somebody's house or we'd go somewhere to eat. Or, you know, he said, you're always going somewhere with, with, the, with the brothers and sisters. He said, we were into each other's lives. And some of that still goes on, but, but we're much busier today. And sometimes by the end of the day, we actually want some blood family time. We, we want to spend time with our, our own family. So sometimes we struggle more to be with the people from church who are actively helping us go to heaven. We're spread out more geographically. We, we drive further to get where we're going to go. And so it sometimes creates a challenge for us to build those kinds of relationships within the church that we need and somebody you know may get a little concerned at this point and say well you know couldn't couldn't close knit groups like that couldn't that end up being cliques well it could but the key is that where there's a group like that the circle is always open ended in other words the circle is never closed and as long as the circle is never closed then we don't end up with a clique Why are these groups like this so valuable? That 10 to 12 people that are, you know, that we're actively helping each other live out our faith. I've got to be close enough to some people, and people need to be close enough to me to get away with helping me and helping you be faithful. In other words, to hold each other accountable. It's the idea that, that we need close relationships because the people we're close to, they're the ones that are going to ask the hard questions. You sure you're making a wise decision? You sure you ought to be doing that? You sure you ought to be engaging in that activity? You know, are you sure you ought to be treating her that way? You sure you ought to be putting that ahead of church? See, unless we're close, it's hard to get away with asking those kinds of questions. But that close group, that's part of what they do for each other. It's hard when somebody cares enough to ask those sorts of questions, it's hard for the asker. And it's hard for the people or the person being asked, but asked, But it's super important. But here's the thing, when you boil it all down, cell group, that 10 to 12 people, they're not going to let me disappear from church for two months before any, anybody ever notices I'm gone. If I'm gone on a Sunday, somebody in that group is probably just going to, without even having to think about it, they're going to, where were you today? If they don't know already. Hopefully that group that I'm really close to, hopefully they won't allow me to launch myself down the road of purposeful, sinful living. Even though, you know, sometimes somebody gets into a very sinful way of life and they're still showing up to church. The rest of us don't know it. Well, that that group that we're close to, they're going to know it. And they're hopefully going to try to stop me if that's the direction that I try to go. Now, as an aside, do our shepherds have a role in this? Absolutely. You take 400 people, though, and it's hard for them to be involved with people at that level. That's why we need these smaller groups that we're very, very close to. Yakely's survey, or one of the surveys he reported on, says that these things are very, very important. He surveyed more than 100 churches. And he asked people in these surveys of more than 100 churches, he said, how many close friends, close friendships do you have in the church? Ten percent, one in ten, said, I have no close personal friends in the congregation. Well, that's scary. Uh, Another ten percent said that they had just one or two close personal friends in the congregation. 30% 30% of the respondents said, Hey, I've got close personal friendships, but then when defined, they said that these are close friendships, but we haven't actually visited with any of these people in the last 12 months. Visiting being defined as being in each other's homes, going out and doing something together, or just talking regularly via phone or social media. 50% said, I've got close personal friendships. But the time we spend together, it's always spent on secular things. Never on prayer, never on Bible study, never on conversations about spiritual things that will actually promote spiritual growth. Only 10%, only 1 in 10 of the respondents, people surveyed in more than 100 congregations said, I've got close personal friendships in the church where when we spend time together, we actually spend time on things that will help us grow spiritually. Are we close enough to care? Let me attempt to drive this home with one other research point from Yakely. He did a study of 100 relatively recent converts. 50 of the recent converts were still faithful. 50 of the recent converts were no longer faithful. And he studied this group and he tried to find, okay, what are the commonalities? What are the commonalities with the people who are still in? What are the commonalities with the people who are no longer in? And this is what he found without fail. For the 50 who were still faithful in every case, in every case, they had at least 7 friendships within the church. For the people who had fallen away, in every case, they all had three or fewer friendships within the church. And the natural question to ask out of that is, have we befriended any new people recently? Within the church. And I get it. Sometimes we may get a little defensive. You know, maybe it's a problem with the person who can't make friends. Maybe it's on them. And maybe it was. Problem is, we've still got to be attempting to live out Hebrews 3, helping each other go to heaven. Even if somebody's hard to reach out to, we've still got to be trying to live out 1 Thessalonians 5, where uh, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians about living ready. And he says part of living ready is encouraging one another and keeping one another's focus on that final day, that day that we're ready for. It's not just the ones who are easy to know and easy to love and easy to get a relationship started with. It's got to be with everyone. If you were converted from, from outside the church or if you've ever had to move and be assimilated into a new congregation, I want you to think about your your experience and think about what worked and think about what didn't work and, and, and think about the expectations that maybe were placed on you by the shepherds in a church where, when you showed up. One thing, and it's almost counterintuitive, but the research shows that when new people arrive in church, they expect, they've got an expectation that church leadership will, will lay out expectations. In our congregation, this is how things work, and this is our expectation from you. One congregation down in South Alabama, they have a very robust onboarding program. It's You're going to take a class, and it's on a Sunday afternoon, and you're going to be in there several weeks. But during that, the shepherds will tell you about the local congregation, and they'll tell you about the the nuances of that congregation and then they'll say, these are our expectations. What we expect is we expect you to be in worship and we expect you to be in a Bible class and we expect you to be involved in a small group and if you can't commit to being involved that way, we're probably not going to be able to help you very much. One of my fears is that too many times we kind of do the touchdown dance when somebody becomes a Christian But then we don't always remember to take those next steps that are necessary in securing the saved. I'll leave you with one more powerful illustration from Yakely. Uh, because he did so much survey work for us as a brotherhood, he got a call from a Mormon headquarters researcher. And and the Mormon researcher was asking some questions about one of the surveys that Yakely had done. And so Yakely answered the researcher's questions. And then before they got off the phone, Yakely said, could I ask you a couple of questions? And so here was Yakely's question. He started with a statement. He said, in the 50s, churches of Christ were about twice the size Uh, in the U.S. of the Mormon church, and now that's pretty much reversed. And Yakely said, my first question is, is your success, do you attribute that to the 18-year-old elders that you see going door to door? And he said the Mormon researcher kind of laughed and said, no, no, he said, that's valuable experience, but we've calculated that for us we make about one convert for every 3,000 doors that we knock on. But then the Mormon researcher said this, He said, obviously we're having more babies than you people are having, but the main thing is that we found that we make one convert for every two people that we have into our homes for a meal. That's powerful. Now that's under the umbrella of evangelism, and I think that would work under the umbrella of evangelism, but when we start thinking about Hebrews 3, and we start thinking about a family where we're helping one another go to heaven, are we... When you have a meal with somebody, it changes relationship. It just always does. We've got to understand that there's something powerful about sitting down, sharing a meal, getting into one another's life. It elevates relationship to another level. It helps us become closer to each other. I'll leave you again with Hebrews 3 as the big idea for tonight comes up on the board. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. God values community. It is His plan for securing the saved. But to accomplish what He wants us to accomplish, we've got to be great relationship builders. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God didn't intend us to go to heaven just simply on our own. And it can't be all about our shepherds. And it can't just be about who the preacher is. Each and every one of us has a role in building the strong sorts of Christian community where we can successfully live out Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Because in the end, we want to minimize the number of times where somebody can walk away and legitimately say, when we left, no one asked why, and no one called. We are here together as family tonight, And one of the blessings of being family is we always extend the Lord's invitation. And so if you're here tonight and there's something amiss in your life, if you're walking through a valley... Uh, and you need your church family to be praying with you and for you, you have that opportunity. You're, you are, you're welcome to go privately to a shepherd if you prefer that and let them know that you need prayers and they'll pray with you and for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Maybe you've not been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Uh, you have that opportunity tonight. and We'd love nothing more than to assist you in your obedience. If you need to respond, please do so while we stand and while we sing.